Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, May 13th, 2023. It's been 3,363 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 444 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, our assessment that there was a continued risk of missile and drone strikes across Ukraine was regrettably accurate. Second, the war of words continues between private military company or PMZ Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Kremlin, while an impasse on ammunition delivery continues. Third, we assess that Ukrainian forces have ended their retrograde operation in Bakhmut and continue to opportunistically launch limited offensives on the northern and southern flanks while holding combat-destroyed PMC Wagner units in place. Fourth, we maintain that Ukraine has seized the battlefield initiative in all operational areas. Fifth, in preparation for larger offensive operations, Ukrainian forces continue shaping operations on multiple axes, creating panic and uncertainty among Gauleiters, Russian administrators, and military leaders. Sixth, we've identified shaping activity by the Ukrainian armed forces in four locations that could indicate a larger attack is being prepared. Seventh, weather models are now favorable for larger offensive operations with Bezdurija, or mud season, for spring 2023 over. And I think we can retire this assessment. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Kupyansk operational area, the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Ukrainian surveillance, reconnaissance, and sabotage, or DRG units, were operating near Kotlyarivka. Russian reports of large Ukrainian tank formations on the border of Bilgorod were false, but were enough to create alarm among residents in the Bilgorod and Kursk regions. Local officials and the Russian MOD were forced to issue statements denying the claim by unaffiliated Russian state media propagandists and mill bloggers. Russian occupation officials have called on civilians to evacuate the entirety of the occupied territory, that's approximately 30 villages and towns, due to ongoing Ukrainian shelling. Russian forces still occupied approximately 1.4% of the Kharkiv Oblast, enabling Russian forces to maintain partial fire control over the Ukrainian wet crossing at Dvorichna and Kupyansk. While the area is small, 
A Russian withdrawal to the Kharkiv-Luhansk administrative border would put the Russian P-66 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that is a supply line, and the logistics hub at Troitske into artillery range. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Kremina operational area, multiple Russian sources reported positional fighting on the western edge of the Kremina forests with no change in the situation. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported a Russian attempt to advance through the Serebriansky woods failed, while the Russian MOD reported an attack by a Ukrainian DRG unit in the area of Dibrova was repulsed. Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo claimed a Russian attack from the, quote, side of Kuzmine was unsuccessful. In occupied Luhansk, the so-called Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or GCCC, reported that the Polypak factory in the city of Luhansk was hit by two Ukrainian cruise missiles, destroying the facility. Russian State Duma Deputy Viktor Vodolatsky was lightly wounded by flying debris or shrapnel while making a video outside of the Polypak plant. It was reportedly a repair facility for Russian military equipment, with the Russian MOD and LNR officials claiming the site was empty. Russian state media and social media users shared two pictures of the remains of ADM-160B miniature air launch decoy, or MALD, missiles that were used as part of the attack. The ADM-160B MALD is a programmable decoy that can create the radar signatures of any aircraft or cruise missile that not only clutter air defense radar but behave in a realistic way. In an airstrike or cruise missile attack, the MALD would be launched ahead of the attacking force. The provision of the decoy missiles was not previously announced. In the past, the decoys could only be launched by the B-52 strategic bomber and the F-16 multi-role fighter aircraft, indicating that a solution to launch ADM-160Bs from Soviet-era aircraft in the Ukrainian arsenal was created. According to Russian officials at the time of recording, Another cruise missile struck occupied Yuvalene, a Luhansk suburb, heavily damaging the Luhansk Academy of Internal Affairs. The site has housed and trained Russian troops since 2015. Russian officials shared pictures of missile debris that confirm British-provided Storm Shadow air-to-surface cruise missiles made the strike on May 12th and the morning of May 13th. Russian mill blogger Alexander Sasha Kotz lamented after the second missile strike, quote, the enemy began to methodically knock out objects in the far rear. With the advent of new opportunities in Kyiv, the very concept of rear base loses its relevance. Fewer safe storage sites for ammunition, fuel and lubricants, etc., as well as control points will be available. This must be taken into account now. End quote. Quick question. Shouldn't it have always been taken into account? In northeast Donetsk, in the Bakhmut operational area, Ukrainian Operational Command East, or OKE, spokesperson Colonel Serhii Cherevati said in the last 72 hours, Ukrainian forces had liberated 17.3 kilometers of territory. That's 10.8 square miles, or roughly the size of Katy, Texas, if you prefer to measure in units of Texas. In terms of total square kilometers, all Russian gains from March and April have been wiped out. 
PMC Wagner leader Prigozhin claimed that Wagnerites were shooting fleeing Russian troops, stating, quote, We spend our ammunition, among other things, to halt the fleeing crowds of Russian army service members, end quote. Which sounds like a great use of limited ammunition. Russian units that abandoned their positions included the 72nd Brigade, part of the 3rd Army Corps, and the 4th and 374th Motor Rifle Brigades of the 2nd Army Corps of the LNR. Units of the 2nd Army Corps were combat destroyed before being advanced to the forward line of friendly troops, or FLOT, and the 3rd Army Corps, originally formed from volunteers in August 2022, has been reconstituted by Mobix at least once. The use of low-quality, poorly trained and equipped forces in areas critical for Russian military success points to our prior assessment that Russian airborne or VDV forces use weaker troops to absorb attacks and indicates that there is a critical shortage of personnel in the Russian Federation Armed Forces. The Russian MOD said Russian forces conducted 64 fire missions and Army Aviation and Air Force, or VKS, carried out 10 close air support sorties. In northwest Bakhmut, PMC Wagner reported that Ukrainian forces pushed elements of the Russian 200th Separate Guards Motor Rifle Brigade out of defensive positions between Orikhovo-Vasilivka and Hryorivka. Based on this report, we moved the line of conflict west, marking a forested area southeast of Orikhovo-Vasilivka as under Ukrainian control. A geolocated video near Friorivka showed a Ukrainian tank driving up to a Russian defensive position like it was just out running some errands and firing at point-blank range at those Russian defensive positions, with a Ukrainian infantry fighting vehicle with dismounts providing light infantry support and cover fire. Wagner also reported that Ukrainian forces advanced along the east bank of the Berkhivsky Reservoir in the direction of Berkhivka coming to within two and a half kilometers of the Russian H-3G lock at Paraskovievka and driving a wedge between Bohdanivka and Yahidne. PMC Wagner later claimed that a Ukrainian attack on the settlement of Berkhivka was unsuccessful. The Russian MOD initially denied any Ukrainian advance, writing, quote, All attacks by units of the armed forces of Ukraine are reflected. No breakthroughs in the defense of the Russian troops were allowed. End quote. The claim was appropriately derided by PMC Wagner and many Russian mill bloggers, forcing the Russian MOD to update their claim, stating that a planned withdrawal was made to, quote, more strategic locations. Wagner denied the updated claim by the Kremlin as well, correctly reporting that Ukrainian forces now occupy the dominant heights by the reservoir with an 80-meter elevation advantage. The Ukrainian T-506 highway G-lock through Hromova has been opened up due to the Ukrainian offensive and the capture of the high ground north of the road. In northern Bakhmut, PMC Wagner claims their forces were able to advance along Medvedeva, Tolbuchina, and Levchenko streets from the post office in the direction of the T-506 highway and the children's hospital. A geolocated video showed the northern region of Bakhmut was heavily shelled and on fire, we cannot, however, verify if Russian or Ukrainian troops occupy the area. In west-central and southern Bakhmut, Ukrainian forces made marginal gains between the industrial college and the medical school. Otherwise, there was no change in the situation, with the T-504 highway G-lock at the intersection where the MiG-17 statue was 
released from partial fire control by Russian forces. South of Ivanivsky, Ukrainian forces made small gains in the direction of Klishivka, with PMC Wagner moving mercenaries to the line of conflict in an attempt to stop the Ukrainian advance. In the Klishivka operational direction, PMC Wagner continued attempts to restore lost positions on the west bank of the Seversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal east of Stupochki without success. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area west of Krutabalka, the Russian 1st Army Corps was able to advance to the H-20 highway in the direction of Avdiivka and recaptured the water treatment plant. Russian forces occupying a defensive position at the H-20 highway and Orzhenikidze Street junction in Kashtanova came under fire by Ukrainian troops. In the Marinka operational area, fighting for Marinka continued with no change in the situation. In the Vuhledar operational area, Russian forces made yet another attempt to advance toward Novomikhailivka from the east and were yet again unsuccessful. Moving on to Zaporizhia. Russian forces executed 82 fire missions, two airstrikes, and three drone attacks along the line of conflict. In the city of Zaporizhia, the Khortutsk National Academy was heavily damaged after being struck by Shahed-136 kamikaze drones. There was finally another update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, or ZNPP, and it was fine, I guess. International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, Director General Rafael Brosi, reported that the ZNPP still has enough essential staff for its current reduced level of operations, but the continued lack of maintenance personnel on site could negatively impact nuclear safety and security and is not sustainable. IAEA inspectors at ZNPP confirmed that voluntary evacuations were occurring in Enerjodar. It is reported that there were fewer employees at the plant during the week of May 6th, but Russian officials claim this was due to the recent holidays and, quote, the current situation in the region, end quote. Rosatom officials remain uncooperative with IAEA inspectors, have not restored the 330 kilovolt backup line from the Zaporizhia thermal power plant, and did not fulfill their promise to let the IAEA inspect the switchyard to see the technical issues and work progress. The IAEA expressed concern about the depth of the Kohovka Reservoir, currently at 17.07 meters and just under a record set earlier in the week. Officials believe the reservoir will peak at 19.6 meters. With ZNPP at an elevation of 22 meters, there is no threat to the plant. Although not named by Russian officials, Russian collaborator Ole Ryachuk, the acting deputy minister of construction, architecture, and utilities, was badly injured when an IED placed in a trash can near his home in Melitopol exploded. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported that the Black Sea Fleet has 12 vessels on patrol, including one frigate and one kilo-class submarine capable of launching up to 12 caliber cruise missiles in total. According to Russian reports, a Russian Mi-28 helicopter crashed in occupied Svitla and Crimea due to a, quote, technical failure, killing the crew. A commission of the High Command of the Aerospace Forces has been sent to the crash site to investigate. 
In Mykolaiv, two Shahed-136 kamikaze drones struck a five-story apartment building and a two-story industrial building in the city, causing significant damage and fires, wounding three civilians. In western and central Ukraine, Russian forces carried out 88 fire missions, firing 445 artillery rounds, mortars, grad rockets, indirect tank fire, and drone-delivered IEDs, bombs, and rockets. The city of Kherson was struck 15 times with 49 munitions, targeting the ship district. In the Ukrainian-controlled portion of the Kohovka rayon, two women were killed when a projectile struck their home and a third was wounded. Milozerka was hit by artillery fire, destroying the city council building. In Dnipropetrovsk, Russian forces shelled Nikopol and Markhanets, injuring two and damaging houses, a church, a warehouse building, a retail store, farm buildings, and the electrical grid. Shahed-136 drones struck the city of Khmelnytsky, causing a massive explosion that broke windows and blew out doors over a kilometer away. We do link to a video of it in our full situation report on Patreon. It really, truly is an enormous explosion. Ukrainian officials are reporting 11 wounded, with the number expected to increase significantly. Alexander Simchishin, mayor of Khmelnytsky, reported that hundreds of buildings are damaged, including high-rise apartments, homes, schools, hospitals, industrial and administrative buildings. We can't determine if the blast was caused by a large ammunition depot being hit, but our initial analysis of the available videos, which are admittedly short and of low quality, is not supportive of rocket-based ammunition cooking off. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.